Hi guys, and welcome back to Motor Up Sports. I'm Kenny Eaton, and with me today is the man, Grant Fogel. What's up, Grant? You know what? I'm feeling sports, and I'm also feeling kind of motored up, so I think this is the right <laughs> show to be on right now. I think it's the right show for you to be on as well. So we're going to lead off today with Scott Harris, who's been named the GM, or actually the president of baseball ops for the Tigers. I love this press conference personally. I thought he killed it. He doesn't sound like a second grader like Avila did. I think it's a little offensive to a second grader talking about Avila like that. But Grant, what are your takeaways from the press conference? What were your thoughts? Let's just, I want to talk about the hire in itself. He's obviously coming from high regard in San Francisco. The Giants loved him for whatever reason. They were willing to let him go as well to come to be the president of operations here for the Tigers. But I think he's great for a couple reasons. I think Young is one component. Right. I think he completes the uh, the four factor of elite GMs now in the city of Detroit. I think he's the final position. Not only is he young, he's going to focus on young talent, retaining young talent, improving young talent. And um, I, I think he's he said the right things, but I think it's hard to jump the gun. I think it's hard to really like or dislike someone early. Unless they say something that's just straight up stupid, which he hasn't done anything of that yet. Right. And I agree with everything you've said so far. But the one thing that he said that was really interesting to me was controlling the strike zone. And how we're going to be the best team at controlling the strike zone on both sides of the, of the ball. Which I thought was kind of an interesting way to build a team. It's a more modern way, I think. And it's a new way of thinking. And I think this guy will succeed here. I think that his background, Theo Epstein's right-hand man down in Chicago, that's huge. We all know what Theo Epstein did down there, and we know the impact that Theo Epstein has had on the MLB and the way that baseball thinks now. So bringing in a right-hand man, Theo Epstein, amazing idea. I This was actually my top guy. The Epsteins just are influential. But this was actually my top guy who I wanted, I thought it was a pipe dream because he turned down the Mets last year. So it's like, why in the world would he go to Detroit? And what happened to all these rumors of hiring from within? I don't know. I, I, hiring I, from within. We had a list of candidates and there were a lot of guys that were internal. And I was scared because we all know Chris Illich. You can't put trust in the Chris Illich. This is something that concerns me. What? He might be, once again, just saying the right things, but he talked about that he is so aligned with Chris Illich's mindset. Does that concern you? Yes. This man who was once aligned with Al Avila is now also aligned with the new guy? So this is what I will say. I think that they're going to clear the entire analytical department out. I don't know if you heard. I, don't, I forgot what reporter asked. It was either like Rieger or Stoney. One of them said it. But they asked him, um, what are your thoughts on the Tigers' prospects and young players? And he said, we're not going to talk about it from the Giants' perspective, which I thought was fucking hilarious. Um, and that makes me leads me to believe that the Tigers are going to start bringing in more talent. They're going to start rolling out some of these guys that have sucked. And I want to ask you the question is, there's three guys are going to be gone. What three do you want to see gone? It doesn't have to be a guy that commands trade value. Any guy off the roster, I'll go first on this one. I don't want to see Scope here next year. I don't want to see Candy here next year. And I want to command a good package for Gregory Soto. But if you don't love the package you're getting, keep him. What's the word? You know what? He said something about taking calculated risks. Mm -hmm. And you know what that makes me think? What? They might trim the fat 
and kind of just started over all over again. He refrained from using the term rebuild. Right. He didn't use rebuild. But I think calculated risk is trading scope, chain trading Candelario for right. maybe cheap, maybe for just young guys that he might like or people on the, the his staff likes. I think calculated risk is realizing, okay, this player is hurting our team in this area, whether they're not able to get on base or they're striking, they're swinging at balls outside of the strike zone. He perplexed me. He did intrigue me about the whole strike zone, about how we're going to be, he said we're going to start it, how the game starts from the strike zone, and it'll be interesting. The people I would like to see unloaded, I don't think are necessarily, well, of course, Javier Baez, I don't think he's unloadable. Or you can't take a risk that's calculated to unload him. Right. There's no one willing to do that. It's really, Kenny, the question is, who do you keep? It's not who do you want gone, who do you keep? I'm keeping, really, on the hitting side, keeping Torkelson, barely. And I'm keeping Riley Green. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. And if Meadows, if he didn't have a vertigo. Yeah, vertigo. He's got, he's got vertigo, yeah. And maybe, but I don't know. I don't know who I'd keep. So, okay, who would I keep right now? Nobody. Everybody's up for grabs but Riley Green. Because I think Riley Green is too good of a player to just give up. You know what I mean? Like Torkelson, I honestly think if you get the right analytical department and the right people in power, you could fix Torkelson in a heartbeat, though. Because you saw what happened with Robbie Grossman when he got traded to Atlanta. You heard Atlanta said, right? Do you remember the whole – No, I'm not – Atlanta fixed his swing in one week. They found the little error in his swing and they fixed it, which leads me to believe we're going to fix Torkelson. Green will get better. You need a new hitting coach. We all know that. I would say, I know he mentioned AJ Hinge by name. Is AJ Hinge a part of the new equation? Yes. Is he someone that, as good as he is, is he someone that needs to walk? See someone that isn't going to fit into the new system, the new culture. So this is what I'll say with AJ Hinch. I don't know if there's even a culture there right now. You know what I mean? Like they're so bad that what's the culture? I think that AJ Hinch has one year and he doesn't do anything next year with this team. There's no progression. There's nothing that's showed for he's gone. You can't keep him because this isn't his, his guy. He's probably going to end up doing what Eiserman did, which was bringing in one of his own guys at some point down the road. I don't think when this team's winning, Hinch will be the manager. But on the flip side... Flip it. Flip it. I, I can't see us firing Hinch. It's like you're firing one of the top managers in baseball. And I think he's on the hot seat after this year. I think everybody's on the hot seat. It just all goes back to the analytical department and how they've been so bad and how every single calculated risk, you can call it, that they made went horribly wrong. But back to your back to the pitching side, though, the Go back to your point of who are you keeping on the pitching side, everybody else, everybody, but Alex Lang is up for grabs. And the only reason why I'm keeping Alex Lang is because I think he's the closer of the future here. And he's the guy, take Soto out, put him in. Right. And also we need to take that hat off of you and put it on me because I want to be just pimped out as you, daddy. You are rocking that (laughs) Stones hat. The Pistons in recent, and the Pistons have struck in recent news. Yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich. How about that? Like, I'll go first, and this is just my thoughts. I actually wanted him this offseason. I didn't think it was possible because the whole time I was saying, Utah's going to sell off all their assets. Utah's going to sell off all their assets. And everyone was like, eh, 
I don't know if Utah's going to soften. Then all of a sudden they trade Mitchell. And all of a sudden they traded Gobert. And now Bogdanovich is gone, who, I mean, that's the part you're missing on this team. You needed a guy that can shoot from three and play the three position. Because now Sadiq Bey can play the four. Bogdanovich can play the four. You can interchange Sadiq at the two. You can, put, you can do so much with this team now that you had one of the best shooters in basketball. So you're eating a bad contract this year, but you gave up Kelly Olynyk's contract next year. You're paying Kelly Olynyk. You just cleared $12 million. That is the best move that Troy Weaver has made as a GM so far. And it's not even close. You gave up nothing for an elite shooter. I was listening. I, I called Troy Weaver's doctor. I know Troy Weaver's doctor. And he said last time that, you know, Troy was coming in for a checkup, regular checkup. He put the tethoscope, the doctor puts hey. the tethoscope, <laughs> puts it up to your chest. And then this is all he heard. We <laughs> got that dog in him. Ken. He does okay. Dog. Forget the return. Forget the return. I love the return. But yeah, let's think about the calculated risks we lost in Kelly Olinick and Saban Lee. Kelly Olinick is, ah, he had one good year with the Celtics. Otherwise, he's been a bum since college. His okay. haircut, trash. His ability to get to the rim. Trash. Trash. His ability to stay durable. Trash. trash. So, see you later. See you later, Kelly Olenek. Save and leave. God. Dang. This guy, oh, my goodness. Save and leave. They must have grabbed Save and leave. He was in the G League in a little bit, and I forgot what team was he on in college. Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt. That's exactly what it was. Vanderbilt grabbed him off a freaking pickup court where he's just playing ISO and he just pulls up half court shots and he just does whatever he wants. Savingly, also trash. Gone. See you later. I'm so glad that we these guys are no longer Detroit Pistons. I'm glad Bojan Bogdanovic is a Detroit Piston and it's convenient because no one was wearing 44 before. So shout no. out for I and I like Boyan because now. I'm curious what they do opening night. You can't put Bagley on the bench at 13 mil. But at the same time, can you bench Boyan Bogdanovich, who's making 16 mil? There's so many you know, factors. I honestly think opening day lineup will be Kate, Sadiq, Boyan. I think they're going to go Bagley, Stu. I think Ivy's going to come off the bench to start the season. Do I yep. want that to happen? No. But do I think that's what's the harsh reality of the opening lineup. That's probably the harsh reality there. Opening lineup, I'd obviously want to see – Ivy, Cade, Sadiq, Boyan, and Stu, or Bagley at center, one or the other I'm fine with. Right now, there is a bunch of lineups to play with. And I actually want to see a lineup where we got Burks and Boyan on the floor together because that shooting is going to be unreal. Think this about team's it. a whole new team than it was it two years ago. Boyan brings in something really important at this team. I think about a lot of these young guys that you've listed. Their talent is kind of all around the same, yet their potential is what varies. We need someone who is established. We need someone who's a vet in this league to kind of bind it all together. Jeremy Grant was efficient in that role, mm -hmm. but of course we can't have him and have Duran. So I'll take that trade off to also have Boyan, someone who's scrappy, someone who plays defense, and someone who can shoot the three. So here's my question for you now. Pistons were at, I originally said 30 wins. I'm pushing the 33 now. I think they got three wins better. What do you have them at now? And what do you have them at before? 
I don't know if they've gotten three wins better just from this trade. I was taking them somewhere around 35 wins. Okay. And I would say over the course since the draft to now, my thought has improved three wins as well, maybe take them to 38 wins. Wow. Less than 500, though. That's the less. That's not a great team, but I still think that's a team that's young team with talent that will win games. I agree. I think they're going to be in a lot of games. But I think the biggest issue is going to be finishing. We saw it last year. They couldn't finish many games. Now, granted, Cade was very clutch at the end of games. He does that again this year. My God, are they going to be special? If Ivy can come in, and I don't think he's day one, you know, best point guard on the Eastern Conference. He could be at some point one of the best point guards in the East. But like from day one, I'm not. I just want progression. I don't want to see. I want to get Wembeyama. I want to be employed for Victor Wembeyama. And I have a conspiracy theory that I kind of made up. You want to hear it? Let's hear it, Ken. I think that in the next draft lottery, there are four teams that can win it. That's the Pistons, the Rockets, the Thunder, and the Knicks. Because Wembeyama is the top prospect they're saying of all time. They're just putting up there with LeBron. They're not going to let him go to Utah. Or Orlando won't get it back-to-back years. They're not going to let him go to the Pacers. They're going to make saying him... that? Are you saying the NBA is rigged? Yes. I'm saying they're going to rig the lottery because we've seen it so many times. Like Cleveland winning it for LeBron. Chicago has no odds to get the hometown. But Cleveland is, Cleveland is not a top market team. No, Why but would Chicago's they won it. it. Zion and New Orleans. Like We've seen some weird things happen through the years. We've seen some weird stuff. I'm just saying they're not letting Victor Wembeyama go to a shit team. They're going to put him in one of those – this is just my theory – one of those four teams – and I think because the, the Rockets, Thunder, and Pistons are probably the closest to winning out of all the teams in rebuilds right now, he would put them over the top and make them into a probably instant contender. And then the Knicks, you know the Knicks. They love the Knicks. This is a lot to happen and to occur for you think the Pistons have a chance? You think the Pistons are incorporated in these four teams? I think they do. I think they're not letting him go to a bad team. Why, no. would, why would the NBA let him go to Indiana? How can they mark for LeBron for LeBron 2.0 for LeBron 2.0 to bring up that again, LeBron going to Cleveland. Cleveland was a terrible team. He made that team a playoff team. Then he made that team a championship team. Then he left. Then he came back and made it a championship team again. Can he do that? Victor Wembeyama, from what I've watched, I've been following him since the 16 U circuit. So I've been following him for now two years. You are a scout. I've looked at him for two years. I was I watched him two years ago. I'm like, this guy will be a top five pick, and he's only on better. The one issue I have with him is health. He can't stay healthy. When he's on the floor, did you watch the highlights of his last game? They were mixing bad and good highlights together. One of the things that I saw, and it's not just like the range, it's how he moves. The guy moves like he's KD. He's 7'4", can shoot as good as Curry, get to the rim really well, and he, all he does is this at the rim, and he blocks it every time. He would be that missing piece to any of those three teams in a rebuild. And then the just- highlights, but well, listen, the highlights are going to be great. The buzz is going to be big, but it's going to be all held up. Exactly like you said, because he is built like KD. Because he is be- built like Chet Holmgren. He doesn't have the NBA built. So mm-hmm. that this, this excitement and this buzz, it might wear off. It might die down. I don't think Victor Wembyamba is going to be all that. I see it. I see it. They make him a four. 
They can't play him at center. Let's just hypothetically say the Pistons get him. Dern's your center. He's your four. I just think he's like that missing piece to any of those three teams to get out of a rebuild and be instant contenders. That's just my conspiracy theory. But moving back into Boyan Bogdanovich, I have a question for you. We, we've been hearing mixed opinions on it. At deadline, what would you like to do with him? Would you like to flip him or would you like to keep him here, potentially re-sign him in the offseason and make him a piece of this team for two or three years? Really, uh, it depends on his production because 16 mil is – it's a lot, but it's not crazy for someone who's producing, for someone who is giving you 16 a game with eight rebounds, and he's also contributing on defense. So I think depending on his production level, do we look to trade him because he is of high value in the trade market? But I think ride with the vet if he's good because I think he is a good, potentially a good component for this team. I agree. I think that I want him long term here just because this was a guy I wanted in the offseason really bad. Like it was him or Miles Bridges, and then whatever happened, what happened with Miles Bridges happened. But what happened with Miles Bridges? What happened with Miles Bridges? I just think Boyan was kind of just that missing guy. You're not paying him past this year. So if you don't like him, fine, just let him go. Sign somebody else. So I'm going to sign somebody better. But, you know, you and I both know the best part of that trade was dumping Kelly's $12 million and clearing up the center room now for during the play. That's the best part of the trade. Saban Lee, gone. I, I didn't like him. I never saw the potential in him because every time he played at the NBA level, he sucked. I actually did like good. him more than Killian Hayes, though. I think Killian Hayes has more potential. That's the only thing. But Killing Hayes, I hope, is next to see the door. Depending on how his production is as well, I think you got to give him a little bit more time. No. I think he was taken early enough for that reason. You got to have the patience. No. You got to have the patience. And because you want to, you got to have the patience. And I understand why you don't, because you wish to be a contender. And I think my patience is all dried up for the Lions, and thankfully for good reason. I think this this team is officially contenders. This team went forward down the field last Sunday. Oh yeah. See to a Lions victory. Oh Lions. Lions. Oh Lions. Woo! So I'm just going to go with this. I originally had them at nine wins. I'm sticking with it. I'm curious, what was your preseason total? What do you have them at now? They got a nice record, especially a couple games coming up. I think it be interesting to see how this week goes against Minnesota. I think would take a loss this week. This Lions team, I tried to withhold from doing preseason predictions because I set myself up for failure because I shoot high like I think you have also shot too high. I do not think this team will make it to nine wins this season. And I didn't think this team would make it to nine wins before the first game of this season. I think seven wins. Seven wins is what we're looking at. And I'd be okay with that. I'd be content with that. A four-point improvement's a big improvement in the NFL. I think this regime is a lot different. And I think the biggest difference is that they're able to draft and able to draft late. Remember, like with the Lions in history, name the last Lions player. Maybe Kenny Galladay, you can say, that has been a late-round pick and has been extremely productive outside of him. We're drafting really well in the late rounds. We're hitting on our first-round picks. I think there's a lot there and a lot to be excited about just because this is different. One of the Lions had five yards and penalties in a game. That is like the least Lions thing ever. Am I wrong? Like that wow. Lions game last week was the least Lions game of all time. When the Redskins – sorry, the Commanders started getting going, 
99% of the Lions games in history, they would have taken that punch, and they would have taken another punch, they would have taken another punch, they would have taken another one. And next thing you know, they would have blown it in the fourth quarter. But this team, man, they kept fighting back. Every time I got punched, they punched back. I don't know. This is a lot different than anything I've ever seen. I'm curious. What have you loved most about the season so far? Mm. I like this team's ability to start in the first quarter, score early. For years and years and years, I've seen this team take three quarters to warm up and get a half for the fourth quarter. And that might have been because of personnel, that might have been coaching, might have been because of play calling, whatever it is. I like how they've started games. And really, besides for letting up a couple late scores, I like how they've closed games. They haven't been playing stupid, like you said. Not too many penalty calls. Not too many missed tackles. I've seen steady improvement from Goff, which has been a great thing to see. I think you should apologize to Native Americans. I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry, Nancy. That's okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. But, no, with all seriousness, though, like, this team looks a ton better. I want to hit on Goff real quick just because I've been really liking what I've seen out of him this year. And think about how much better this offense is going to be when Jamal's healthy. Like, in this offense is already, like, top five in football right now. You add Jamal to the mix. Woo! I mean, you're looking at a fucking insane offense. I think right now, my favorite part about the season is how you went from by far the worst receiving core in the league last year to have an established core right now that looks like they're going to be fucking amazing at receiver. I think Goff's been really good, and I'm okay sticking with him next year if you don't like the quarterbacks on the board. I think you have a lot of defense to address in this draft, and I'd rather spend on a linebacker in the draft like Will Anderson. I'd way rather have Will Anderson than draft a quarterback right now. You add Will Anderson to that defense with Malcolm Rodriguez, Hotch, and Okuda. You sign a few guys next offseason that are good pieces to just start. You don't need to start, but you can get some starters in there. All of a sudden, the defense is like, shit, it looks really good. I haven't seen enough of Goff to say, you know what? You know, I'm not ready to draft a quarterback. I'm not ready to draw at Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I'm not. I haven't seen enough where I'm that content in doing that. Also, I think it's good to ex- get excited about this receiving core. I think we do, but I think this receiving core is being carried by one person and one person only. Amon Ross St. Brown is the only reason this receiving core has had much traction. Hawkinson has had a couple drops. I know. I got him six-round steal. Six-round steal. Come come at me. But listen, Hawkinson, two drops last week, Mm -hmm. only had three or two or three receptions. DJ Chark, no reception. Showed up with a big goose egg. Was not present. I mean, I think Swift and Jamal Williams have been helping. Like, Swift has been big out of the backfield catching passes. But really, yeah, I guess I would say Swift – and Amonra. I think this receiving course still needs improvement. I'm excited to see J-Mo. I'm so excited to see J-Mo, but we were talking about receivers and stuff. I think the most impressive part of the team, and it's crazy because they've been banged up all year, it's the whole line. Like, even the second, third string guys, like Skipper coming in, allowing one sack, like, that's fucking good for a practice squad player. I think our O-Lines coach deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing. Very heartfelt moment. The Dan Skipper. This is what Campbell said today. It says Ragnall feels good, should practice. He'll play this week. Hutch will play. So the Lions got much better again this week because Ragnall's you heard, back. He you heard down. it here first. Motor up sports. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. If you look at the O-line, right? Like Decker's been phenomenal this year. You got Ragnall. And you're missing pieces all over the place. 
Panay's been fucking amazing. That guy looks like a future Hall of Famer. And I'm saying that early in his career. But he looks like a pro bowler every single season if he keeps doing the stress of his career. I love our old line. Panay's looking great. I, our line, we've built from the trenches up. We've built our from- offensive line is looking good. Our defensive line on the flip side, a little bit worried about Hutch's leg. I think he'll be fine, just like Dan Campbell said. Kaminsky out for the season. That hurts. That hurts. That hurts. This team, I would say, does not have a strong enough secondary to have much weaker of a defensive line. Correct. Because I think Okuda's played really well through two weeks. I think he's played really well. Really? I'm not gonna, I can't go ahead for uh, pro football focus stats. I've seen him, but I still, he's a, he was the number three pick overall. I still am expecting more. I'm expecting not only to have open field tackles, I'm expecting him to get in between passes. I would like to see him pick off a quarterback. How many, does he have any interceptions in his career, in this NFL career? I think so. No. So I would love to see that. I think Rodrigo has been, I think he's been awesome. (laughs) I'm really impressed with his, just his high football IQ. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that stood out to me, and it's the speed. This is why I think we're going to win this week. The script is completely out on the Vikings. They're on short rest, missed day of practice because they play Monday Night Football. So they're going to be a little more tired than most teams would be coming in. So you got a short rest Minnesota team. The script is completely out on how to beat the beat them. Look, look at what the Eagles did last week. Now, granted, you have Darius Slay. I get it. But if you put pressure on Kirk Cousins, he will make bad throws. He will make mistakes. If you get to him all game, you will win. I think we're good enough to do that. Like we saw it last week. The line, they have zero talent on there outside of Hodge. But they're getting to the quarterback, though. And they were the- locking up. They were locking up Justin Jefferson last week as well. Right. And, that, and that's the thing that scares me a bit. And I hope Okuda's on him because that, that's a prove-it game. You're the number three pick two years ago. And that's one of the top receivers in football. I think he's elite. I think you would agree he's an elite receiver. Justin Jefferson is that dude. Standalone talent. He just needs Kirk Cousins to throw it within 10 feet of him, and he will get that ball, and he will get yards after catch. Darius Slay picked off Kirk Cousins once last week. I think Justin Jefferson was limited to only how many catches versus normal 10, 11, 12 catches per game. This is going to be a big Spotlight moment for Akuda. This is going to be, I think, Swift continues to be in the spotlight. Is this guy a top five back? Do the Lions, for the first time since Reggie Bush, have a top five running back? Reggie was never top five in Detroit, though. Scratch that. Let's go further back. Barry Sanders. Since Barry Sanders? Is this the first time since Barry Sanders that the Lions have had a top five running back? Agreed. Pressure's on him. I think pressure's on Hawkinson to have a bounce-back game also. I think so, too. I'm just excited for this week. I think, like, we saw how, I don't want to say Minnesota's bad, but how mediocre Minnesota is. They and I think, we're a mediocre team. I think we're as mediocre as that. It will be a dogfight. It will be a battle. But this is what I'll say. Look at the Lions this year. When they play, they play their asses off. That's a hard team to beat. They will not, maybe the Bills, but outside the Bills, I don't think they're going to get blown out this year at all. It's going to be interesting to see. How about also credit to the special teams? That too. Special teams has been great. Jack Fox, certified boot on his leg. He's got a booter that's sending that thing, pinning it. He's he's hitting them within the 20. 
90% of the time, he was within the throne 12 last week, kicked it out to 30. Jack Fox is awesome. This team, is it's got some exciting elements, some things that I think the fans and the city, we got to get hyped. Ford Field should be sold out every single week until they lose. So they're so pitiful again that we're so upset as we were before. Otherwise, keep, we need to keep selling them out. I think this is the first time in my life there's a clear vision. It was always like Mayhew. There was no plan there. What was the plan? Like, we're just – and Grant, they had some good teams. They should have beat Dallas that year. I don't know if they would have won the Super Bowl that year, but they would have at least played for something potentially. But outside of that, there was never really a vision. The plan, the plan was, Ken, build around Matthew Stafford. Well, yeah, but what was the plan on draft night? Draft T.J. Hawkinson? plan. But what was the plan on draft night? We were going to draft TJ Hawkinson. He didn't hit on any of his picks, okay? You fast forward to Patricia and Bob Quinn. They didn't hit on any of their picks at all. Okuda looked like a bust up until this year. And if Patricia was still here, we'd be calling Okuda a bust right now. That's fair to say. Definitely. Bob Quinn ruined all of our draft picks. He drafted Ragnar. I'm a fair – I'm an equal opportunist. You got to give him that, but – Outside of Ragnow, he drafted really shitty. We They drafted some guys that just left. Kenny right. Galladay, gone. We drafted some duds, Gerard Davis. There's been plenty of busts. There's just been too many busts in the early rounds, like you said, and you know, fingers still crossed for Jeff Okuda. I don't know if you saw, there was a podcast uh, what the MLI Beat Writers did. Did I send it to you? There, no, was- I didn't see it was Goldberg Quinn was talking about the Patricia regime and everything that went wrong. And what was really stood out to me, and this is what is standing out now, is he was saying, like, Patricia wasn't inviting players back because they're supposed to be your enemies and how they wouldn't do, like, jersey swaps because they're your enemies. And how he said that when Patricia came in, he wanted to tear everything apart, tear it all down, and build a brand-new culture when all you needed to do was just have a coach to get you over the top. I don't think we'd be having the conversation right now of Caldwell – being fired, they hired the right guy after him. But what was interesting and stood out to me, though, was he said the culture here is going back to what it was back when Caldwell was here, which makes me happy. Yeah, Caldwell was never going to win anything here, but at least Caldwell was winning football games. I don't know, though. I, I look back on it, and I think this city, that organization, the fans, we've done a disservice to Jim Caldwell. He was the only one to make us a legitimate team. He was, we let him go on kind of Bad pretenses. Yeah. You know what I mean? To open up the spot for Matt Patricia, who ended up biting us right in the ass. And I hope, speaking of biting the ass, I hope I don't get bit in the ass because my ass will be in attendance to the Michigan State-Minnesota game. Oh, shit. Occurring at 3.30 in East Lansing. No shit. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to see you. But not holding my breath on a Michigan State win. I say Not holding my breath. That's what, I, that's what I'm with. I've had this game circled. I, you've heard it. I've had this game circled as a loss from the beginning of the offseason. I've been saying all year, this Minnesota team, they're a pretty good squad. They're going to run all over us if Slate's out. Their quarterback's like a 17th-year senior. So, <laughs> so, look at Minnesota's roster. Like, they're a pretty experienced group. Right now, they're leading, I think, they're leading the nation points four points against. They just beat Colorado 56-7. Well, a lot of Mel Tucker guys playing on that team. I understand, like, they're not Mel Tucker developed, but, I mean, they used to be a team of a lot of Mel Tucker dudes, and they beat the brakes out of them. So this is where I'll go with it. I think they committed to Tucker too early with that extension. I think we're all really high on him. 
And I think they got scared that they were going to lose him to LSU, just like they didn't want another saving situation. Do you think they committed to Tucker too early with that extension? Or do you believe that, okay, we're all overreacting after this Washington game. Let's see what happens down the road. What's your opinion on that? I don't think it's an overreaction. I don't think it's an underreaction. I think it's just a reaction. I think it's a natural concern you're going to have. You did just pay this guy. I think you made a great point. They were scared of losing him to LSU. They went ahead offering him big money. But I think it was the right move. Even if they don't have a super successful season, this season, I think they still got to have winning football. He's got a lot of time on his contract to make this team winning football. He lost arguably maybe one of the best talents he'll have in his tenure at Michigan State in Kenneth Walker. I think it just goes to show how dominant of a player Kenneth Walker III was last season. I think it really just goes to show. I think Peyton Thorne's got to step it up this week. I think Michigan State does have a chance. Their defense, their secondary just cannot get eaten alive, which they they just do. There's something that also concerns me a lot, and that's the O-line. That old line is so bad. That game last week, I don't think there was a single play in the entire game that Thorne threw the ball and he didn't get pushed down. They were all, all over him straight from the jump. And that was Washington. Minnesota's a much better team, I think, than Washington. I think Washington's a good team. I'm not taking that away from them. They're probably a 9-10 win team. Minnesota, they win this week. All they have to do is beat Penn State, and they're walking into the Big Ten Championship undefeated. This game, I've had circled as a loss. I'm going to keep it as a loss. With some of these injuries on the defense, it could be uglier than we thought. And guess what? The script is still out, and it's the same way how it beats State. Just throw. You throw on this team, it's going to be a field day for every Big Ten quarterback. Tua's brother next week, going to put on a fucking show against us. And we'll talk about Maryland and Michigan in a second, but I I guess I'm confused with you, the state fan. How are you so aware in the fact that, okay, this is kind of a shit show. It is. Yet you are so composed. How are you not more enraged? Like, the fact that you're going to just kind of be satisfied with just walking at home, taking a loss to Minnesota, and you're just going to be like, eh, Mel Tucker, although I think it is the right move, He's supposed to be the defensive strat. Right. The strat slat. The defensive strat slat. And he's not slatting it up right now. No. There's no slime talk. So this is why I'm not upset. I'm expecting it. I'm not going in there expecting a win this weekend. I'm not going to Ohio State expecting a win. not going to Michigan, Penn State. Shit, even Maryland. I don't know if they're going to win that one. You can be as pissed as you want. But with this team, you had a whole offseason to fix the secondary. And nothing's fixed. You had the whole offseason to fix that. And it just shows that the transfer portal is not the best way to build a roster. It's by going through recruits. Granted, this is where I'm going to lead into a question for you. How concerned are you if this team goes 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five around that record? How concerned are you that they're going to lose top recruits? Mm. I'm very concerned about that. Because you got a lot of kids from the state of Georgia, from Florida, from the southern states. NIL money's all over the place. They're looking at this Michigan State program. If I'm a cornerback, if I'm a safety, I would laugh if Michigan State offered me right now. I would laugh. I would never want to play for that fucking team because that team does not develop secondary players. So you have a lot of guys in this class, O-line and D-line, and that's basically your class. The O-line has been horrible. That's your way of fixing it was bringing in a bunch of dogs on the line. D-line as well. 
they're going to lose a lot on the D-line this offseason. So they're, they're refilling it with some freshmen, but they aren't going to play, obviously, until their junior, senior year. I'm concerned that when you have a bunch of four stars from the South, where the NIL money is all over the place, where – if you're if you're a recruit, Michigan State goes six and six or seven and five. You're really and I'll tell you, I'll there. tell you, I'll tell you. I don't think it will affect Michigan State as much. To their benefit, Michigan State isn't Alabama. Michigan State isn't Ohio State. Michigan State isn't Auburn. There, if those schools go six and six or six and seven or whatever their record is that year, that's a bigger deal. Mel Tucker is still fresh enough. He's still, I think, a likable enough coach. Current players like playing for him. I think the recruits he has, he will not lose. I think he loses the ball. He should have hit on guys like Miles McVay. Those are the guys you had hit on your top three-star recruits. Because you're going to lose I all. think, no. no and uh, No, I don't think they do. I think these guys, because the transfer portal is such an easy option and such a suitable option for players, I think Mel Tucker is someone who's still worth taking a gamble on going to his school. If you've already signed those papers, you can do one year and you can walk away. You have that at your benefit. You've said it before. Should Cade McNamara be walking away? This is not his team. This is no longer his team. You know what team that would be good for him? Somebody told me this the other day. Wisconsin. He's, so he's got – I think he's only got one year left of eligibility. Right. Yep, he's got to do it. He should totally do it because so, I think J.J. McCarthy, I think the only thing that's going to be tested in this Michigan-Maryland game is um, – or Michigan's defense, Michigan's secondary, because mm-hmm. I think Tua's brother, Tonga Vailoa, I forgot his first name, um, he's got a cannon, he's got an arm. Yeah. And they got some a solid receivers on Maryland. I think Michigan's offense will continue to steamroll. So I think Michigan still wins this game very easily, but it's a matter of how does their secondary perform? Are they able to put pressure on the quarterback? Because their defensive line also needs to step up in the absence of a secondary that's getting beaten up. I agree. I think Michigan will be fine. I think they'll win this game handily. Their offense will keep them in it, I think, the whole way. I don't think Maryland's going to be in it after halftime. I just think the third quarter Michigan wins that game. It'll be a close game up until half. Maryland's going to pluck away at just short balls, and they'll go deep a few times, but they're going to pluck away at that secondary. And I think Tagabiola is good enough where he's smart enough to be able to know who, who am I going to throw to. What receiver is going to bully a corner? Like what Penix did the Michigan State. Yeah. He can. He's good enough and smart enough to do that, where he can find the weak link on the defense and, and bully them all day. But there's one last thing I want to get to on this episode. And top recruit Nicholas Harbour is visiting Michigan this weekend. How important is this game for Michigan recruiting? Because this kid's also considering Maryland. I guess in that regard, every game is big for recruiting. I think for your sake as a Michigan State fan, you shouldn't be so satisfied with losing to Minnesota at home. I think in regards to recruiting, every game's a big game. I think Michigan handles them rather easily. So I don't think it's a big game in regards to competition. I think for Michigan now... If they're looking to play in a college playoff, you could argue every game's a big game. Sure. You got to show up, perform, and put big points on the board because everyone in college football is scoring. So, last question for you: Does Michigan walk in, and Ohio State both walk into the game undefeated this year? I think so. I think yes as well. Thanks, Grant, again for coming on. I really appreciate your time. 
We'll be back again next Monday, recapping the weekend. If any other news comes up about the Tigers or Pistons or anything, we'll be right. I'll be right on that. Have a good weekend, guys. Go Green. Go Lions. Go Tigers. See you all on Monday.